Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're going to look today at the subject, How to Be a Prosperous Man. How to Be a Prosperous Man. And we're going to look today at his path, his pleasure, and his prosperity. The psalmist says, Blessed is the ish. Hebrew for man, singular for man. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Father, we thank you for this psalm that really speaks of the biblical role of manhood. God, we pray that we would be men of God in this generation. Men who love our wives and children and love your church, who is your bride, love your people. Men who find themselves wrapped up in your business. God, help us to be that type of men. Lord, we know that the world has many definitions of manhood, but we pray that we would turn our attention to what you say in your word and that our lives would come into conformity with your will. Father, we pray that you would instruct us this morning from your word and bring challenge, bring correction. Most of all, bring transformation to our lives. We thank you for the men of this church, the way they do serve and worship and go out into the world to tell the wonderful things that you've done in their hearts. And God, we pray as a congregation that that would only increase. Father, we pray this morning For any man here who does not know Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. That he would see this Father's Day that he is missing the greatest plan for his life. And God I pray that you'd help him to understand today what the scripture says. That behold today is the day of salvation. He's not promised the next Father's Day. He's not even promised tomorrow. And so I pray that today his heart would be surrendered to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, we know that uh, fathers are important. In fact, fathers are very important. Not only to the family unit and the church, but also to society at large. In March of 1999, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services launched a new nationwide public service campaign challenging fathers to remain emotionally and financially attached to their children 
even if they do not live with them. The campaign slogan was, they're your kids, so be their dad. They're your kids, so be their dad. The campaign showed that 17 million children in America do not live with their fathers. A staggering figure. It went on to say girls without a father in their life are two and a half times as likely to get pregnant out of wedlock and 53% uh, more likely to commit suicide. Boys without a father in their life are 63% more likely to run away and 37% more likely to abuse drugs. Both boys and girls without a father uh, involved in their lives are twice as likely to drop out of high school, twice as likely to end up in jail, And nearly four times as likely to need help for emotional or behavioral problems. Fathers are important. Fathers are also protectors. As an analogy, just think of where our heavenly father has placed planet earth in the solar system. Fathers can be compared to Jupiter in its role with the earth. Have you ever wondered why huge asteroids and comets or space junk rarely seems to hit the earth and take it out? Alan Ross, an astrophysicist at the Carnegie Institute of Washington says, Jupiter is something like 99.9% efficient at throwing dangerous space junk back into interstellar space. He goes on to write, it's 318 times heavier than the earth. Because of its mass, Jupiter creates a huge gravitational field that acts like a giant cosmic vacuum cleaner. It's been determined that living inside of Jupiter's gravitational field minimizes the destructive forces that would otherwise enter into Earth's atmosphere. An example of this would just be in recent years. Jupiter took the impact away from Earth when a giant comet broke into fragments. Jupiter was bombarded with more destructive power than all the atomic bombs put together that exist on the Earth. Maybe the ancient Romans were on to something when they named Jupiter. You see, in the old Latin, Jupiter means sky father. Fathers are protectors. Fathers are providers. Fathers provide for their needs, for the needs of their children and families. Now, by the way, dads, when you think of being a provider, AT&T reports that Mother's Day may be the day when the most amount of phone calls are placed, but Father's Day is the day that the most amount of collect phone calls are placed. (laughs) Fathers are important. They're protectors. They're providers. But I want you to see what the psalmist is saying in Psalm chapter 1. He talks about manhood from a little different perspective. How to be a godly man. How to be a godly dad. 
how to be a prosperous man. Now I think of when we hear the word prosperity, we automatically think of our wallets or our bank accounts. We think of what we would be worth, say, if we invested $10,000 in Walmart stock back on January 1st of 1977. By the end of 1997, you could have sold that stock and cashed it, cashed it in for $4.2 million. That's what we think of when we think of prosperity. But the Bible is talking about a different kind of prosperity. How to be the man that God has called you to be. How to be the husband or the father that God has called you to be. How to be a prosperous man in God's sight. And so let's look this morning at what Psalm 1 has to say about that. And the first thing I want you to notice with me today is his path. His path. He's separated from the world. He says in verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. He does not listen to the ungodly. Now folks, we don't hear very much of this today, but what the psalmist is describing here is the biblical principle of separation. The Bible tells us that we're to be salt and light in this world and we're to be different and distinct from the ungodly culture around us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians that we're to come out from among them and be ye separate. He's quoting there the book of Leviticus that told Israel how they were to be. They were to be different and they were to be distinct from all the other nations on the face of the earth. Everybody was supposed to be able to look at their lives and see God's thumbprints all over them. And that happens as we're separate from the world. Now as Paul wrote that to the Corinthians, uh, the city of Corinth was one of the most pagan and immoral cities in ancient times. And it was a very materialistic city. And Paul said to the church there, come out from among them and be ye separate. And that is exactly what the psalmist is saying here in verse 1. That we are not to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. We are to be different. People ought to be able to look at our lives and tell something different about us. Look at where the psalmist begins. He says, blessed is the man. Actually, it's an interjection. It expresses exclamation. The thought is, oh, how blessed. In the Hebrew, it's also in the plural. All the blessednesses. Now, that can express a couple of things. First of all, it can express the multitude of blessings. The man of God who's prosperous in God's sight 
is blessed in so many various ways. All we need to do is stop and count all of our blessings. As the hymn writer says, name them one by one and you'll see what God has done. We're blessed in so many different ways. In the Hebrew, the plural here can also simply mean intensity. See what such a degree the man of God who's prosperous in God's sight is blessed. Oh, look at the degree. Look at the magnitude. And so either way, whether multitude or intensity, the result is the same. He's describing somebody here who is blessed beyond measure. He says, how blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He is very careful about the path that he takes, about the journey in life that he takes, and who he allows to influence his life. Men, we've got to be very careful in this regard. It's not just young people who need to look out for peer pressure. It's all of us. I think of an illustration that, that uh, points out how powerful peer pressure is. They, the, 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 the people doing the survey got a whole bunch of young people together in a room and then they divided this group up into little subgroups. And they pulled aside the majority in each subgroup and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to draw a series of lines on the board. And we're going to purposely point to the line that is not the longest line that's drawn. But we're going to say it's the longest. And if you agree, raise your hand. And group after group, without exception, they watched what these different groups of young people did. When they drew all these series of lines on the board and pointed to the line that was not the longest line, but they said it was, and if you agreed with them, raise your hand. All of those who had been prepped in advance raised their hands, and it was staggering what they noticed. They looked all around the room at the different subgroups, and those who had not been clued in, as they looked at the hands in their own group you know what happened slowly they raised their own hand even though they knew they were not giving the right answer they still raised their hand we want to blend in don't we that can be dangerous and so he says blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Folks we better be very careful where we go and who we go to for counsel. Even well meaning friends and work associates sometimes even people at church can give us counsel that is not in keeping with God's word. He says if you want a life that is blessed. Do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Do not seek the counsel of somebody who does not factor God into the equation of their life. Romans 12 too says that we are not to be conformed to this world. I like the way Phillips translates it. We aren't to allow this world to squeeze us into its mold. 
Because that's what the different voices and the different forces in society will try to do. It will try to get us to squeeze into their mold and simply be like everybody else around us. But he says, blessed is the man who doesn't fall prey to that temptation. Next he points out that he does not linger with sinful man. He says here, nor stand in the path of sinners. The idea here is that we also reject the road of transgressors. Now true folks, we are all sinners saved by grace if you know Christ. But what he's talking about here is the transgressor who is still a transgressor. In other words, he's still lost. He's never been converted. He never had his name written in the Lamb's book of life. And their rejection of God has caused them to choose their own path. And then thirdly he mentions here, he does not laugh with a scornful man. The phrase he uses to describe that, he says, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now all of those statements are saying basically the same thing just in an ever increasing and intensifying way. It's the picture of a man going from bad to worse. What's he doing first of all? First of all, here's the journey we find ourselves on so many times when we we fail God. We'll walk in the counsel of the wicked. And then we'll stop and stand around with them and chat. And then the next thing you know, we're sitting in the seat of scoffers. And so what we need to see here is the downward spiral, the digression here. First, you don't want to listen to the ungodly, those who don't have God in their life. Now they may not be bad people. In fact, by the world standards... They might seem like good people. But they're simply void of a relationship with God and so they're described as the ungodly. When they give counsel, they don't ask what would God have you to do because God's not a part of their life. God and God's will is not even on their radar. And so he says here, don't go to that type of person for counsel. Don't linger with the sinner. This is the person who may factor God in with their lips, but when the chips are down, they say, forget God, I've got my own way that I'm going to go. And then don't sit in the seat of the scornful. This is the crowd that just laughs at God and God's ways. This is the person who says, you're crazy. Reading the Bible and living by the Bible and going to church, why do you do something like that? And they scorn. Your faith. They mock your faith. Now folks, if those are the people that you run with, then pretty soon you face the danger of becoming just like them. And you start doing the same things they're doing and thinking the same way they're thinking. And what the psalmist is saying here is that the man who wants to be prosperous in the ways of God won't do that. Dads, we need to choose our friends and our mentors very, very carefully. It's like 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts 
good character. Now, dads, how many times do we try to tell our kids that as they're growing up? We want our kids to be very discerning and very careful about the type of friends that they choose. Especially as they get a little older, they get up in middle school and then high school, we worry about the type of crowd they run with because we know how much the wrong crowd can influence their lives. But men, what the psalmist is saying is we never outgrow that in our lives. Just like we need to, just like we tell our kids, be careful of the company you keep, we need to evaluate our own lives as men of God. And look at the company that we keep. Who are we investing our lives in? Who are we allowing to invest their lives in us? Now certainly we want to be a witness to everybody. But when it comes to your mentors, when it comes to those who influence your life, we need to be very, very careful that it's not the ungodly and not the scoffers and and not those who are sinners in the sense of being unregenerated. In fact, as the book of Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron. We need to pick others who will sharpen our faith and character and help us to be better men of God. That's the path that we need to choose. That's the path that we need to travel. Secondly, I want you to notice his pleasure. He's satisfied with the word of God. Look at what he goes on to say there in verse 2. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, God's word has captured his full affection. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Dads, can you say that you delight in God's word? Is God's word better to you than the sports page? Oh boy, that preacher's done quit preaching, gone to meddling now, right? Is God's word to you more delightful, more precious to you than the sports page or the stock report? Men, you know what we do when we go to that mailbox, right? Let's say you're a fisherman or a golfer and you have a monthly magazine that comes on fishing or golfing. You go to that mailbox and boy, that fishing magazine has come. And you just kind of collect that other mail in your hand. You walk in you kind of throw it down. You'll deal with that later. And you go get in your recliner and man, you start devouring that fishing magazine or that golfing magazine. You might spend hours reading every article in that magazine. You're delighting in it. Now don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that men can't have hobbies. Please don't walk away from here today thinking that I'm saying that. But what I'm saying is, do you delight as much in the Word of God? Does the Word of God capture your full affection? Like that golf magazine or fishing magazine. And something wonderful about the Word of God, the more we read it, the more we study it, the more we delight in it, guess what happens? Then the more we delight in it. That desire just grows and grows and grows. 
And we learn more and more from the scripture. We get more excited about it. And we see how relevant the word of God is and how it, how it applies to uh, everything in our lives that we face. The word of God becomes our counselor and our teacher and our instructor and we, we delight in it. We can't wait to read the Bible. We love reading the Bible. It's captured. It's captured our hearts and our minds. Men, that's what he's saying that we need to be like. Because one of these days, all of us are going to need some type of encouragement over something, some type of comfort, some type of instruction. And it's the Word of God that will give you that. We need to delight in it. God's Word is also claimed as full attention. He says, and in His law, He meditates day and night. Now he's already told us that if we want to be blessed, we've got to reject a man-centered life. We can't think like the world, talk like the world, act like the world, scoff like the world. If we want to be men and women of God and be blessed, we're to delight in the Word of God. We have to live a God-centered life and that comes through knowing God as He reveals Himself in His Word. How does God speak to us today? He speaks through His Word. Do we delight in it? John R.W. Stott would have to be one of my favorite writers. He's gone home to be with the Lord recently. He was a scholarly pastor. Many great technical commentaries. And he he wrote from a pastor's heart as well. Not only the, the heart of somebody in the academic world, but a pastor. John R.W. Stott writes that delighting in the Word of God is one of the telltale signs that a man is truly born again. He said you take a man who says with his lips that that he's a Christian and yet he has no patience, he has no time with the Word of God. He has no delight in the Word of God. Then how in the world can that man claim that he's been converted by the Spirit of the living God and made a new creation in Christ. But Stott writes, one of the greatest inward assurances that we have that God's done a work in our hearts is that we start growing in our delight of God's Word. You see, the unredeemed man, as Paul said in Romans 8, doesn't even think in that direction because his mind is on the things of the world. But a converted man, suddenly his mind is on the Word of God and he, he wants to start uncovering all the treasures that God has in his love letter to us that we call the Bible. Sixty-six wonderful books, love letters that God's written to his children. We need to delight in it. And he says the man who does that will be blessed. He says on his law he meditates day and night. Now circle that word meditates because he's talking there about something much more powerful than just a casual reading of the Bible. The best way to describe the Hebrew word here might be to illustrate it in the negative sense. When we mull over something. Has anybody ever said anything to you that offended you or hurt your feelings? Sure they have. 
You know, we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true, is it? Words do hurt. Can you think of a time in your life that somebody insulted you or criticized you or tore you down in some way and it it hurt, it cut deeply, and maybe for the rest of that day you were mulling over that incident in your mind. You were meditating on it, mulling on it, thinking, what'd they mean by that? What'd they mean by that? Maybe the next day or the next week you still found your, or the next time you saw that person, you, you mulled over again what they said. Well, folks, that's the meaning of this Hebrew word meditate. That's the negative connotation. What he, what he means here, of course, is the positive way that we mull over it, we meditate on it. And so here's a man who watches his pathway very closely. He guards his associations in life. But then his pleasure is to delight in God's word. And he mulls on it. He reads a passage in the morning. On his way to work he thinks about it. Maybe he keeps a notepad out and jots down a few little thoughts. That God brings to his mind throughout the course of the day on that passage of scripture. Maybe months later when he's facing something in his life because he saturated himself in that passage, mulled over it, God brings something to light months down the road. That's meditation. You see, folks, we read too much sometimes. Of course, I don't know that that's a danger today. We're not reading that much anymore. But it's been said we read too much and reflect too little. What he's talking about here is the reflection, the mulling over the meditation that goes with our reading. That's what the man who wants to be blessed and prosperous will be like. His pleasure is he delights in the Word of God. Now, incidentally, that's the same thing that God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 that he needed to do. Joshua was Moses' successor. Moses, as you know, wasn't allowed to enter into the promised land. Joshua, that that, uh, mantle was going to fall to him. And he was going to be the warrior king who would lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, he said, Joshua, I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to fear. I want you to be strong and courageous. And this book of the law is not to depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein both day and night. And then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Same instruction that the psalmist is giving us here in verse 2. When he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Well, then thirdly, I want you to see his prosperity. He's situated by the waters. It says he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Now, folks, don't miss the progression here. Number three, his prosperity only happens Because the first two things are in order. His path and his pleasure. 
Because those two things are in order, now we come to his prosperity. I think one of the greatest deceptions that the enemy tries to infiltrate our minds with is that we can just kind of let life roll over us and let things happen and we're going to be prosperous in God's sight. It's not going to happen that way. We've got to be purposeful. And so with the first two things in place, now we come to this one. His prosperity. He's situated by the waters. He shows stability. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. The idea here is of nourishment and strength. He's not a wild tree. He's planted. He's planted. Trees in the ancient world symbolized stability and strength, especially in a desert climate. In a day when there's so much inconsistency and unsteadiness, how wonderful it is to enjoy a life that is characterized by stability. Folks, a tree planted stands for a life that is grounded. I think of what Paul said in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. He says, As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. We're to be grounded. We're to be planted. And just like a tree with its branches, the more grounded we are, the further our reach can extend. And that's the picture of a godly man who rejects the opinions and convictions of the world and embraces God's word and delights in it. People around you may not appreciate your faith and convictions right now, but chances are when something bad happens to them, they're going to seek you out. They're going to remember that strength and stability in your life that you display and they're going to bypass all those friends that they partied with all of those scoffers that they spoke with and they're going to come knocking on your door and they're going to want your advice. Then he, he says he shows vitality. He'll be like a tree planted by rivers of water. Water is oftentimes used in the scripture as a symbol uh, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You'll remember in John 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. He said, you drink of this water and you're going to thirst again. But the water that I'll give you will be like that artesian spring welling up inside of you that never goes dry. Vitality. There's no drought. There's no spiritual drought to a life like this. And then thirdly, he point he, he shows spiritual fertility. He uses two phrases here that brings forth its fruit in its season. His leaf also shall not wither. Now, folks, the image here is that of Christian fruitfulness. And fruitfulness in the Bible is always used to describe both the inward and the outward fruit. First of all, the inward. The fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 talks about love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. He goes on there to list that ninefold fruit of the Spirit. And so the man who chooses his path carefully, his mentors carefully who takes pleasure in God's Word, 
ends up showing great fertility, great fruitfulness in his life. In a situation demanding love, he's able to show love. A situation that calls for peace, he's able to be at peace. A situation needing self-control, he's able to be self-controlled. He's fruitful in season at just the right time. Just the right time. And then because of that inward fruitfulness, there's that outer fruitfulness. Because of the way he is in his heart, he has a dynamic witness with those around him. Fruitful. Spiritually fertile. Then he says, his leaf also shall not wither. There's a vital link here. Between the root and the leaf, dry roots will reveal themselves with dry withered leaves. Green healthy leaves show what? The proper root system. It all ties together. And then he says in verse 3 he shows prosperity. Whatever he does shall prosper. Now folks, here's the thought of true success. To put it in the words of Romans 8, 29... It's God's plan to conform us to the image of Christ. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, till we grow up into that measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. And so the man who delights in God and God's word bears fruit, lives a life that is prosperous in the sight of God. And so what Psalm 1 describes is a life that is properly related to the world and properly related to the word. You see that? Properly related to the world, properly related to the word. And he makes the necessary adjustments in his life that God's word calls for. Men, that's, this is a promise of how you and I can live our lives. But again, it doesn't happen just by accident. As J. Oswald Sanders said, you're as close to God right now as you want to be. You see, it's not going to happen. The progression that he's talking about here, uh, uh, about this man of God who ends up prospering in in God's sight, it's not going to just happen. Again, you have to be alert to your path, your associations, and your pleasure, the Word of God. And then as those two things are in order, then you're able to prosper in God's sight. Again, I think one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy is that the flow of this psalm just kind of happens in a man's life. No, it doesn't. It takes a surrendered life. Now notice he contrasts, he ends up contrasting this man with the wicked. He says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 
Here's the righteous man who looks closely after his path and his pleasure. He ends up like a tree planted. Here's the wicked man who gives no thought for God or God's word. He's like chaff. Now what's chaff? Chaff was the outside husk on the grain. And really there came that time in, in the life of the grain that the chaff was worthless. So they would, take, they would take all the bundles of grain to the threshing floor and they would beat the grain against the threshing floor to crack the husk. And then they would throw it up into the air and the heavier grain would come back down and land and the wind would take the chaff and blow it away. The chaff was useless. He's talking here about separation, just like Jesus talked about. There'll come that day, he'll take his sheep, put them on his right, and say, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And the goats on the left, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Separation. And that's what this psalm is talking about. Separation. Not all life that we live is equal. There's the man of God who lives his life to be prosperous in God's sight. And then there's the man of the world who becomes like the chaff. Men, which road are you on? What are you doing with your life? Who are you allowing to influence your life? Who are your mentors, your closest associations? Those who are having an impact on the type of man that you are. The things you think about, the things you say, the things you do. Are you watching closely that path? What's your pleasure? What are you delighting in? Are you delighting in the things that the man of the world delights in? Or are you delighting in God's word and you're allowing God's word to transform you? What's your delight? Because see, determining that which road you're on is going to determine how you turn out. Two paths, two roads, two gates, just like Jesus spoke of. Dads, which description in Psalm 1 fits you? And if the right description doesn't describe your life, then what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it to change? Evaluate your life. Evaluate which road you're currently on, whose counsel you listen to. What provides the anchor for your life? And what's going to be the outcome of the road you're on? Evaluate all of that. This psalm is inviting us as men to do that. Dads, be that example for your kids. Be the protector, yes. Be the provider, yes. But be the right example that he's talking about here as well. Be a godly man. Christian family therapist John Trent shared two actual letters given to him by a third grade teacher. Two actual letters 
One letter said, Dear Dad, I love it when you take me on dates. I like it when you play baseball with me, miniature golf with me, and watch movies with me. I really appreciate it. I like it when you tell jokes to me. I like it when you hug me and kiss me. Daddy, I love you. Now, as the third grade teacher pointed out, same classroom, same assignment, Four seats away from the student who wrote that, four seats away, was a different student who wrote this letter. Dear Daddy, I love you so much. When are you going to come see me again? I miss you very much. I love it when you take me to the pool. When am I going to spend the night at your house? Daddy, have you ever seen my house before? Daddy, I'd love to see your house sometime. I can only dream of what it must look like. When am I going to see you again? I love you, Daddy. I love you. Two different paths. Two different paths that you and I choose in our heart. And two different outcomes. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me, please? Dads, I want to invite you to come to Christ today if you don't know Him. Let Him transform your life. You cannot be a godly dad apart from Christ. You can't be. Jesus said He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. You cannot be a godly man apart from faith in Christ. I hope you understand that. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been tugging at your heart. This morning you need to step out of the pew where you're seated there and come forward and say, Pastor, pray with me. I need to be saved. Dads, evaluate carefully the things and the people that influence your life. Are there changes that need to be done there? What do you watch? What do you listen to? Who do you watch? Who do you listen to? Are those things or those people going to draw you closer to Jesus Christ or are they going to push you further away? And dads, really think about this one. What's going to be the outcome of your life if you simply continue down the path that you're on right now? Are you going to stand before God one day and hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant? Are you going to be able to say, I have fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished my course? The path you're on right now, what's the outcome of it? What changes need to be made? And are you willing to make those today? Lord, help us today not just to be men, but men of God. Men of God who stand strong for the Word of God and for faith in Christ in this culture. God, we need men of God. and We thank you for the promise here that men of God can be prosperous 
in your sight. Lord, forgive us that we have listened too often to the voices in the world. We've wanted our life to measure up to everybody's life around us that we see in the world. Lord, help us to see the only thing that matters is when we stand before Christ one day, will we have followed Him faithfully? Lord, I do pray for that man this morning who needs to make some urgent changes. Show him what the scripture says that behold, today is the day of salvation. There's no guarantee that he even has tomorrow. The Bible says life is but a vapor. Give him wisdom to make the right choices in his heart today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation is going to be on the screens in front of you. And there may be a man here today that needs to come forward and say, Pastor, I need Christ in my life. I don't know Christ. I've never been converted. I've never been born again. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Would you be willing to say, Pastor, I'm not aware that that transformation has ever happened in my life. Been in church all my life, but I've never been born again. Would you humble yourself enough to admit that this morning and get it right with God? Men, maybe you need a church home. Somebody here today that needs a fellowship of other Christian men that can encourage you in your walk with God and can pray for you. We'd love to be your church home. And men, this altar's open. If you're making the wrong choices in your life that are not going to result in the right outcome, why don't you just get on your knees before God? Say, God, give me the strength and the courage to begin today making the right choices.